What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 45, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Legacy. Legacy. And you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And when you find us there, be sure to give us the five-star ratings and the wonderful reviews. And I am realizing that I haven't been checking that, that in a little bit. So, you know, I did mention before people have been doing it. Thank you so much for that. That is fantastic. Helps other people find our podcasts. And uh, if you haven't done it, then come on now. Come on. Come on. For real. Come on. It just takes a second or 17 or whatever. It's fine. You, you got the time. Uh, but if you're on Spotify, you can do it even easier. There's a little heart button that you can find once you type in Stargate and the word like third one down and uh, start listening to us there. Subscribe and uh, hit the little heart button. It helps people find us there, too. And uh, Zach, if a new listener has been saying, oh, my gosh, this is supremely the best. I have never heard a finer podcast in my life. I must reach out to them. I must tell them this good news. How, Zach? How would somebody tell us that good news? Well, if you wanted to speak to us, there are a few options for you. The first way and probably the easiest way. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, you could email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's... W-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. <laughs> Yay! Yay! No stumbles. No stumbles. Nice. Uh, that's walking through the Stargate at gmail.com. Or you could find us on Twitter at mm-hmm. Stargate Walking. Um, or find us on Facebook, mm-hmm. Walking Through the Stargate. We have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook group. Join yes. us. There has been some... Uh, some activity there, which is awesome. Good. Uh, some folks have uh, responded via, via email and on Facebook. Uh, Brent, you'll recall last week that we talked about uh, the the. We wondered whether or not there was an MMORPG for oh, yeah. Stargate. Um, uh, and actually, I'll just quote from Arnacht, uh who sent us an email. But some of the same information was also found on um, our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But uh, the answer is no. Right. Okay. But yes. Or yes, but no. Um, um, okay. So there was a game called Stargate Worlds that was planned, and it was supposed to come out about the same time as Stargate Universe. Um, oh. Uh, and there was supposed to be some sort of overlap. Sure. Unfortunately, yeah. the game was canceled before it was released. Uh-huh. Um, however, that said, apparently in one of the first couple of episodes of Stargate Universe, you do see one of the characters playing Stargate World, which is oh. kind of an interesting <laughs> meta thing going on there. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, uh, so the answer was, is no, but yeah, but kind of yeah, yes. There was also a, uh, a first-person shooter game called Stargate Resistance. Okay. An online multiplayer first-person shooter, um, and apparently, according to Arnacht, Arnacht uh, you can uh, still play that on fan-made emulators, but it's off of the official servers. And gotcha. I see. So, it exists. There you go. However, in both situations, 
uh, dig too deeply and you will find lots and lots of spoilers. Oh, of course, of course. And, you know, and I also mentioned that with um, great trepidation because several years ago when Star Trek Online first came out, I was like, yay, it's my dream. I've always dreamed to pretend to live in the Star Trek universe. So I get in there and it was it was all right. It was all right. But, it, um, you know, it turns out that, like, the thing that I actually was dreaming of doing was, like, working in engineering or something. <laughs> like, like not actually captaining a ship, but being all, like, part of the team that figures the thing out. Woo! And has access to all this technology and, like, goes, t- you know, boopity-boop with the touchpads. But, um, yeah. You can't go boopity boop with the. T- well, I, you might now. The, the thing's still around, but you know, when I was first trying out, it was like you know, run around and zap, um, you know, bad animals, and yeah. you know, fly your ship around and avoid uh, avoid Borg incursions. That's uh, that was that was it for a while. So, um, so I, I am sensitive to the notion that just because I think it would be really rad to pretend like I'm existing in this universe, sometimes it actually does not quite uh, hit the yeah. level of rad yeah yeah i get that mm-hmm. um so uh thanks for the emails and the comments on yeah Facebook, thank folks. you um it's pretty awesome uh keep it up um and with that i think brent it's time to dig into the background of this episode yes okay so uh this episode uh, legacy was written by peter deloise uh, not written, directed by Peter DeLuise. This yeah. is his first episode this season. Uh, he did direct two episodes in season two, Serpent Song and Show and Tell. Mm-hmm. Do you have your show notes up? I do. Okay, so then I can't ask you. So, Brent, guess how many episodes oh. does he direct? Well, I wasn't looking at my show notes. I just oh, had well, then don't was, look was... at the show notes. And okay. How many would you guess? Uh, okay, give me the question one more time. Okay, so there are 22 episodes in season three. Season three, How many about, of those episodes were directed by Peter DeLuise? Of 22? Yes. I'm, uh, okay, so I'm going to go that it's a high number because this, is, this question is being phrased in such a way. Uh, 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 half is surely absurd, so it must be like kind of close to half. So I'm going to say that he directed eight. He directed eight episodes of this season. That's very close. He actually uh-huh. directed uh, seven of the episodes. Holy cow! However... <laughs> Uh, remember, last week was directed by Martin Wood. If yes. you add Martin Wood's uh, directorial episodes and Peter DeLuise, if you add those yeah. two together, yeah. that equals 13. Se- seven oh for DeLuise, six for Wood. So those two guys direct yeah. half, yes. a little more than half, yes. of season three. Wow. Well, you know what? A little bit of a spoiler about where I'm going to go with my ratings. But if that's but if their if their quality continues on the trajectory that it is currently on, I am imagining I'm going to have a great time with this season. Well, we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out. Um, I have on my notes here uh, Deloise sighting, um, and I looked for him in this episode. I'm pretty sure he's there. I just missed him. Oh right, I forgot that that's uh, that's a thing he does. That's the thing he does. Um, and I bet you, I bet you, I bet you he was under some of the prosthetic makeup. I bet you that was one of him. It could have been. Mm-hmm. It's betcha. possible. I bet you he was one of the ghouls on the floor. That, that's possible. That, that's mm-hmm. not generally has been his M.O., but. Oh. Okay. Uh, normally, you actually see him. Like his face. But, but uh, oftentimes, he tries to be subtle with it. So, I don't know. 
if you saw Peter DeLuise in this episode, please tell me where it was because yeah. I missed it. Uh, and if you want to know more about Peter, uh, uh, check out our previous podcasts. We have all sorts of information about him mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teleplay for Legacy was Tor Alexander Valenza. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard his name before. Mm-hmm. This is his third writing credit. This is his first of the season. Gotcha. Uh, he wrote Spirits and Holiday in season two. Spirits was a terribly racist, bad episode with yep. Native Americans. Yep. Holiday was kind of a fun, silly episode with Michello. Yes. And that is actually rather appropriate because yes. this episode really has a big Michello element to it. Yes, it does. Uh, he's got three additional writing credits this season. Uh, and as I mentioned in a uh, previous podcast, he only has two writing credits outside of Stargate. Uh, an episode of Dharma and Greg and an episode mm-hmm. of The Dead Zone. And currently he is working in the non-entertainment industry. Gotcha. So that's Tor. If you want to know more about that, uh, go look up Spirits. So our, our episode is, on Spirits. What would be the non-entertainment industry? Would it be like like processing like traffic violations? Like what 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 would that uh, would it be? Um, um you know, be coming I, up with uh, oatmeal flavors. You know, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> However, I do remember that I mentioned it in Spirits. So okay, episode thirty three, Spirits. Uh, check it out. You can learn more about Tor there. Yeah, that's right. I like it. I like the uh, I like the callback. That's really I, good. You know, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Okay. So, Legacy originally aired on July 16, 1999. So, just uh, uh, 20 and two months or so uh, uh, from this date now as we record this. Uh-huh. Yes. A uh, month and a half, actually. So, uh, number one in the charts in the U.S. was Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child, which I don't know at all. I don't remember that one. All right, I have to look at it. And by the way, uh, last episode, uh, uh, I was still having the trouble pulling the audio in, and so uh, I, I, I had to set up a really high-tech setup of uh, capturing audio with a phone microphone and uh, uh, the cup of a headphone. <laughs> <laughs> So that's part of the reason why it sounded pretty, pretty bad, right? It was, it was, that was a pretty anemic uh, version of the, of, of the, of the song that we're about to be, uh, that Zach's about to tell us right now. Yes, uh, because Ricky Martin is still number one in the UK with Livin' La Vida Loca. Which, uh, I kind of forgot how fun that song was. So, you know, like, summer of 99, I was definitely thinking that um, I needed to be as cool as I could possibly be. And so, therefore, things that were, uh, there were things out there that were not not cool enough. And I remember that Living La Vida Loca was definitely eye-roll worthy because it was so popular for so long. But uh, upon listening to it again, I'm like, this is a good song, man. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, you know, it was one of those relatively rare pop songs that I actually recognized that it existed at the time. Sure. Um, because that's not my my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there it is, and, and it was a fun song. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the box office this week, July 16, was uh, number one, Eyes Wide Shut. 
Mm-hmm. This is uh, one of Stanley Kubrick's last uh, movies. I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was it actually his last one or not. I think it was his last. I think it, I could be wrong, but uh, I mean, it was definitely like this was it. Yep. Yeah. This is the the uh, the movie that could only have been done with a married couple of uh, uh, Tom Cruise and uh, Nicole Kidman, and they were so mature that they could get through it. And then shortly after this, they got divorced. I don't know if it was actually related to this or not, but there it was. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet that um, I'm willing to bet that there was more to that breakup story than than just this movie. But um, let's just let's just say that this was the catalyst. I I, I would guess you're right that the, mm-hmm. there was something in this that that uh, added uh, just enough stuff in there to really uh, get things rolling on that. Uh, number two was American Pie. Number three, Lake Placid, uh, monster movie out there. Uh, number four, mm-hmm. Big Daddy, and number five, Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. So, what was happening about this time in 1999? On July yeah. 15th, the day uh, before this aired, scientists uncover the possible reason for SS Warata's disappearance uh, roughly 100 years later. The SS Warata was a luxury steamer which uh, did not reach its destination in 1909, and no trace of the wreckage was ever found. This mm-hmm. got me thinking, what the heck is going on about this thing? Uh, it was a passenger and cargo steamship built in 1908. Uh, in July 1909, it went on its second voyage, and it was down near Cape Town, uh, yeah. and it disappeared with 211 passengers and crew, no trace was ever found. Uh-huh. It disappeared. Uh, and so, according to our, on July 15th, scientists uncover a possible reason for its disappearance. And I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. What is it? So I look. I look. And I find that in 1999, uh, Emlyn Brown uh, finds a ship which he, believe, which he believes is the Warata, um, Turns out that it's not the Warata. It was a different uh, ship that was sunk okay. in the, the Second World War. Uh, but still, with that, I didn't find what were the possible reasons for this and what was such a big deal that, uh, you know, on this day, what happened on this day would, would say this about July 15th. Nothing. Still couldn't find it. Um, uh, however, there were lots of different explanations that have been put forth, including a freak wave. Uh, the iron ore concentrate. So apparently iron ore uh, is really, really unstable, and today we mark it as hazardous material because huh. in the slopping around on a ship, it can actually uh, like liquefy and be corrosive and like sink a ship that way. Um, go to Wikipedia. Wow. You can find more information about this. I'm like, wow. And I of course, no- this ship... Wow had this stuff in it, and so maybe that's what sank it. We don't know. Huh. Uh, maybe it was a whirlpool. Maybe it was an explosion. Maybe it was aliens. Oh, I Who like knows? the aliens one. There you go. It but fits. Still, all of this, I still couldn't figure out what the scientists supposedly discovered in 1999, which just like, uh huh. So here's this little here's this little teaser of like, hey, on this date in '99, scientists did a thing with this ship. Oh, here's all this information about the ship. Isn't that interesting? Here's more information about iron ore. Huh? That's interesting. All the possibilities. And what did they find in 1999? Well, we're not really sure, are we? <laughs> 
So, uh, you folks out there, if you know what's going on here, and uh, please tell me. I'd be interested. Yeah. It's kind of curious. Yeah. Um, on July 16th, that's the day this aired, uh, this is the day that John F. Kennedy Jr. and his wife, Carolyn Bassett, and sister-in-law, Lauren Bassett, were killed in a plane crash. Oh, uh, right. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, so, by, that uh, was Martha's on Vineyard, this right? date. What? It was by Martha's Vineyard. I think the plane went down right yep. around there, I think. Yeah, I think. yeah. I think. Yep, just off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. Um, Kennedy was piloting, and it went down, um, and that happened on this date. Uh, I don't know if it was known specifically what happened. Um, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend was a weekend of famous weddings. So okay. on the 17th, uh, Helen Hunt marries Hank Azaria... Uh, uh-huh. yeah. The cricketer Glenn McGrath weds a flight attendant, Jane Louise Steele. Okay. Uh, actress Raquel, Raquel Welch weds Richard Palmer in Beverly Hills. And okay. the Miami Dolphins head coach, Jimmy Johnson, weds his longtime girlfriend, Rhonda Rookmaker, uh, on hmm. the 18th. So right. lots of weddings, which makes sense. It's, you know, summer. It's, it's July. Yeah, that's right. Um, there you go. Uh, so moving from there onto some of the trivia for Legacy. Uh, one of the, so as I was looking at IMDb, one of the things I notice occasionally are some of what the plot keywords are. And normally sure. they, they're nothing really big deal. Uh, however, for this episode's, one of the plot keywords that just made me giggle was woman wearing a gas mask. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> There's a tag. There's a tag out there of people that are... <laughs> Finding con- video content, television, and movies where there is a woman wearing a gas mask. Uh, apparently, that and sounds. This episode has that plot keyword oh, in IMDb. That sounds oddly specific. <laughs> That's <laughs> especially especially since Carter, who is the only woman wearing a gas mask in this episode, wears that gas mask for all of maybe thirty seconds of airtime. If that. In the opener. Uh-huh. Good um, Lord. Yeah. The internet is full of strange people. You're right. <laughs> and lovely people. And lovely and, people. And people like you and me and our beautiful listeners. Yes, That's right. you. Yes. I'm talking about you. Yes. Um, yep. Uh, so, uh, I've got some st- stuff here about this episode from the Illustrated Companion. I'm um, so I am so pleased that you found out about the Illustrated Companion because uh, there are some fantastic stories in here about these episodes. I, I'm just I just wanted to I just wanted to make that plain. I just want to put yeah. that out there. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying this to to read these about this. So um, when they finally made the cut of the move of of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Glasner, one of the co-creators, was not happy with those final scenes when they're in that uh, uh, locked room trying to get out. Yes. Um, and he's like, it just looks boring. It just isn't exciting. We need all of that in there because if you don't have all of those pieces in there, you lose the story. But mm-hmm. it's so dull, he said. Mm-hmm. And this is when he turned to the composer and said, okay, we need you to write music that makes this more tense makes this exciting and frankly they do it um, stick a pin in that okay we'll stick a pin in that uh, <laughs> well they they do it better than i mean this episode as i was watching so 
you know, I've seen this episode many, many times, um, and I have never really thought of the end of it as particularly boring or, or, or dull. Uh, mm-hmm. This time watching through, I did watch it intentionally listening for the music and seeing how that changes things and sure. trying to watch it uh, pretending that the music track wasn't there. And I think you're absolutely right. If you don't have the music, uh, it is super dull and I boring. will completely agree with that statement. Um, and the music helps it significantly. Uh, yes, absolutely. So, so uh, that's what we learned about this episode. Also, that's pretty cool. uh, Richard Dean Anderson loved playing Going Crazy. Wait, what? Um, there you go. Uh, in other languages... <laughs> Carry on. Moving right along. Do we need, to, do we need to, to, to parse that out a little bit? Did you say that he blubbed it or loved it? Loved it. He loved playing Going Mad. He, I have but no he, trouble whatsoever portraying a guy going mad, quietly mad, loudly mad, any sort of mad, primarily because I've been practicing that my entire life. I've been, I think, oh. going quietly mad for a long time. I started when <laughs> oh. I was a very small boy. I so see. I wasn't taxed at all because I've had lots of practice. That's a quote from Richard Dean Anderson. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's had fun with that. I see. Okay. Um... There you go. Um, most of other language titles uh, are the same legacy in, in French, in Italian, Spanish, uh, Hungarian. Uh, in German, the episode is called Possessed. In Czech, it's Michello's Legacy. Mm-hmm. And in Russia, it is The Gift of Goodbye, which the gift of goodbye. I don't understand okay. that at all, but it is fascinating. That, uh, that, that is, yeah, okay. The gift of goodbye. The gift of goodbye. Uh, you little get little slugs squirting out your ears. That's right. So this episode, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, this episode did have a couple of goofs in it mm-hmm. um, early on in the very uh, opening of the trailer. As there's a camera near the very end of the the opening sequence, there's a camera that's looking close up on one of the dead bodies. And you see the eyes open and then quickly close. Yeah, I, I <laughs> noticed that. Yeah. Which is fine. It's like, yeah, fine. Don't, it's yeah. like, oh, yep. Uh, yep. You're a person pretending to be dead. That's okay. Yep. <laughs> um, also, then uh, when Carter is using the centrifuge uh, with her blood, mm-hmm. uh, you need to balance it. So if you put yes! something on one side, you got to put some weight on the other side to counterbalance that. Uh, and she did not do that. I was I was sitting there, <laughs> I was sitting there watching her put one test tube. In. I do not work in a laboratory, and so I was I so I watched her put the one test tube in and nothing else on the other side. And I was sitting there like, huh, I wonder if like really really high end centrifuges can handle like you know can handle having just one. In, you know what I mean? Like I was sitting there right. like maybe maybe there's something you know in the housing that puts a put some weight on the other. I don't know, right? I, I mean, I'm imagining that somebody has thought about this, but turns out, <laughs> turns well, out indeed, I was sitting here like, oh wait a minute. Well, uh, I don't work in a lab, and and I have no idea. Uh, I suppose it is conceivable that there is a centrifuge out there that is sufficiently high end that it wouldn't need the counterbalance. But uh, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, I have never bothered to 
worry about that because that's not been part of the plot story. It's just like, hey, and oh, yeah, no, do no, this, no. and so then moving on. It was it was it was just a moment of you know, just, yep. I was I found it. I was thinking that same thing. Yep. Okay. Well, shall we dig into the synopsis here, Brent? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is once again from the Stargate Command Wiki uh, with my own edits. Good. Yes. On the planet, PY3948, SG-1 comes upon a closed chamber. Upon opening it, they discover the dead bodies of the Lindris, a group of nine lesser Guawuld who fought against the system lords. However, the cause of their death is unclear. Dr. Jackson finds a Guawuld tablet and a page-turning device near one of the bodies. He looks at it, trying to get it to work to no avail. As he is doing this, he experiences something brush past him. He takes the tablet and the page-turner back to the SGC for further study. Back at Stargate Command, Jackson suddenly starts having hallucinations. At first, he sees a member of an an SG team as a zombified Lindris, and later, he sees the shimmer of an open wormhole in his closet and is then surprised when one of the dead Lindris tries to pull him through the wormhole. Ah. Dr. Frazier examines him and can't find anything physically wrong with him, but he is showing signs that he's developing hebrophenic schizophrenia. As a result, she relieves him of duty. The medical team believes that gate travel itself may be the cause of Jackson's symptoms. Colonel O'Neill, however, just believes it's stress. He wants to put a sign on the gate that says, gate travel may be hazardous to your health. <laughs> Call it good. Later, while playing cards with O'Neill, Jackson sees a Guawuld sneak up and then implant itself into the colonel. Panic, mm. Jackson jumps on his friend and tries to stop the symbiote. This final outbreak causes Jackson to be sent to a nearby mental hospital where he spends the next few days in a white cell, still having hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Sometime later, the rest of SG-1 visits him, shocked at what is happening to their former comrade. During their visit, Jackson sees a Lindris walk into his cell and tries to attack it. He is stopped by Teal'c. However, when he comes in contact with Teal'c, he sees a small glowing blue thing climb out of him and into the Jaffa. Startled, Jackson immediately tells everyone that something went into Teal'c. Unsurprisingly, Everyone believes he's having another hallucination. Orderlies come in and sedate Daniel, but as he collapses, he hears the voice of Michello, and then he speaks his name. Mm-hmm. Later, Tilk suddenly falls ill. His symbiote is dying, and there's nothing anyone can do for him. Daniel, in the meantime, begins to recover and believes that the cause of his insanity is actually a Gould killing weapon designed by Michello with whom SG-1 came into contact about six months earlier. Note, holiday. Daniel tries to explain this to Dr. James McKenzie, the leading psychiatrist of the hospital, who naturally believes that Jackson is still hallucinating and acting crazy. Jackson then challenges McKenzie to find out if Teal'c is sick, and if he is, to please let Jackson speak with O'Neill. When Mackenzie discovers that Teal'c is, in fact, sick, he calls for O'Neill to visit. Jackson is able to convince his commanding officer that he's back to normal. And so Jackson is released from the hospital, and they return to the SGC. 
Back at the SGC, they discover that the page-turning device is just like a bunch of other page-turning devices that Michella made and that were hauled to Area 51 after he died. They bring them to the SGC with the hypothesis that these page-turning devices are some kind of landmine set to kill Guawuld who try to use it. Their hypothesis is con- confirmed when Major Carter, Dr. Fraser, and O'Neill test one of the in test one of them in the lab, and ten blue things emerge from the page turny Turner, Turney Turner page turny Turney yeah sure it's a, it's a tournament of page pages page turny yep I, sorry like, like congressional pages <laughs> lined up on either side of a gladiatorial arena <laughs> anyway carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the page tourney. <laughs> page boy. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, these little blue things break containment and all three become infected with multiple creatures. While O'Neill and Fraser begin very quickly to feel the hallucinatory effects, the same is not true for the major. In fact, Soon, the four that infected her burrow out of her ear and fall dead to the floor. And then she hears Michello's voice. The team hypothesize that these weapons kill a Guawuld, leaving the host alive. Now, once a host dies, it leaves a protein marker in the blood that then tells the weapon that the job is finished, and so the, these weapons exit the host body. Once Carter the, has once, this proce- Once what? the... Um, the, the- the Guawuld dies, right? Once the Guawuld dies. Right. Yes. Yes. Once, oh, I said host. Oops. That That's my fault. <laughs> I made that mistake. <laughs> so when a Guawuld dies, it leaves a protein marker and, it, and that marker remains in the host body. Correct. Gotcha. Carter has this protein because of her encounter with Joel and R. And so when these things enter her, they note that protein and they're like, oh, okay, Guawuld's dead. And so they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, gives her the idea, well, and the team, uh, to extract some of those proteins from her blood. Now, obviously, you can't just take blood from one person and give it to another person. Uh, Dr. Whomever, I can't remember his name, says, oh, don't even bother. You can't try it. I'm going to be pessimistic about this whole thing. <laughs> Dr. Extra. <laughs> Dr. Extra. Uh, he's been in a few other episodes. Of course, yes. Um, and he's always been a bit but, of a of But a, then a uh, Frazier in her delirium is able to just, hey, wait, you know, just, just separate the blood. And so they get the idea, take all of the stuff that's rejectable out of the blood and then use the rest of it to inject into the patient. And so with the centrifuge and all of that, that's done. The uh, antidote is then injected into Fraser and O'Neill. They uh, both hear Michello and are released from their induced insanity. The team then use the same procedure on Teal, hoping that it will trick the weapon into leaving Teal, even though he still has a live gold symbiote. It works. The day is saved. Everyone is happy. Yay. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Legacy. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Oh, that's why it's called Legacy. All right. Um, <laughs> you just figured that out. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I watched the episode this morning. Um, like, okay, fair. Fair enough. <laughs> um, let's see here. So the uh, the episode, uh, it's... Uh, it, it, Overall, this is very positive. Uh, you know, I, when uh, when when we started watching it, uh, I was intrigued about uh, you know, like the 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 um, 
it it was it was interesting. This was an interesting story. There, it, like it introduced another little faction within the universe to be thinking about. Apparently, this faction is now over and done with, though. Just by definition, about what that was. You know, there were nine nine lesser Gould, and there they were. Um, and they're all dead now. And they're all dead now. And um, you know, the mystery of like how they died and why. You know, like we see early on that something. I think we see early on that something is infecting. Uh, Daniel. I mean, we know that he is affected by something back on that first planet and that nobody believes him. I liked how um, uh, uh, Michael Shanks was playing Daniel Jackson as he is affected by this uh, mm-hmm. by this little device. Um, I like how the actors were playing against him. I really like that padded room scene. Like, they did a really good job with... Um, uh, you know, Amanda tapping Christopher Judge and Richard Dean Anderson opposite uh, Michael Shanks playing how these characters would be reacting to each other in this moment. It was good. It was yes. really good. Um, I liked the pacing up until the very end. Um, the pacing in the laboratory, in the, in the you know, the rumor they were at the very end where they were infected. Um, that's why I wanted to stick a pin in that because, uh, yes, the music really did improve what was a slog fest. And as I was watching it, I was sitting there like, I mean, okay, maybe you don't have enough story written to actually fill this time with something that is moving along at a bit of a clip of a quicker pace, but the step by step, um, aspect of reaching resolution uh, it it didn't feel it 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 felt very realistic. Uh, well, I mean, in so much as like it felt very uh, uh, um, uh, you know it, it it was the anti montage right where a montage will get you through two weeks of time in thirty seconds and you go from right. like you know having absolutely no ability to being able to totally kick somebody's butt. Um, and this was sort of the other direction where it was a very <laughs> plotting like first this, then this, then this, then that. Now you can administer a cure. Um, and it, it it just, it took me out of the story. That pacing sure. took me out of the story. So, so there's that. But overall, like, um, yeah, the first part, the first, you know, 80% of the story, it was fantastic. I mean, I was right there. I was engaged. I was enjoying, um, I was enjoying some of the decisions that were being made and how they were just choosing to tell the story. Um, you know, the uh, I was really, really satisfied with how much care they took in some of the special effects, specifically those shots when we see the little uh, the little killing devices moving under the skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was that it was that one scene where we're looking at sort of the temple of. Daniel Jackson and you see the little thing crawling under there and you see the bridge of his glasses move. Yes. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, they're not doing a cheap VR effect or not VR. You know, they're not doing a a cheap uh, VFX effect where they're just putting a little shadow on his skin and moving it around to make it kind of look like there's something underneath there. They're obviously trying to use a physical I mean, maybe it was digital, but probably they're using a physical prop of some kind in order to do this effect. Yeah. And that I was going takes, to mention that if you hadn't mentioned yeah. that, I would have said something about that. Yeah. I, I thought I actually, as we were watching it last night, I, I said to my wife, "Like, oh, look at that effect! That yeah. is really cool." 
Yeah. And, and, you know, they obviously were kind of doing the same thing. So, you know, the actors, so I think it was Janet Frazier, maybe. Yeah. I think we were looking at a shot of Janet holding her arm and you see the same little effect and the way she's holding her arm made me think that she was holding a prosthetic, um, which is fine. Um, mm. all good, but you know, they're, they're, they're being really careful about that. And also the blood draw shot where, uh, um, major Carter is taking her, taking her blood, uh, you know, I was watching how they were really carefully inserting it into something. And sure enough, when she puts the little tube in there, red liquid comes out. And I'm like, yeah, OK. You know, she can't actually be she's not sticking it in her arm. She's sticking it into something else. But they really were taking their time with the physical effects. And yeah. they were subtle. Maybe. I, I don't know. I was noticing them. Maybe everybody else did, too. But, you know, it wasn't they weren't beating us over the head with it. But they were being really careful. And I like it when people are careful with things like that. Um, it gets you immersed into it uh, in a way that that uh, quick effects just can't. Um, yeah, yeah. Or uh, editing tricks can't. You know, you could have done a cut away uh, when um, Sam is about to put the little blood cartridge in the thing, and then cut back with a full cartridge. I mean, like you know, like that would have been fine. Um, but that you didn't, and you figured out how to visually do it. I appreciate. Yeah, and. So it just added it just added to the whole atmosphere. And so yeah, I'm I'm going on and on about all the positive things about it. And I haven't even really gotten into the story yet. Um mm. and so the uh this story was a nice it wasn't a mind blower, but it was nice and satisfying, right? We have right. the after effects of this character whom we were introduced to way back when, um, who promised to give humanity an edge over the Gould, and we haven't really seen that pay off i don't think um but here we are seeing his effects in the universe at large uh, right you know to negative effect to negative consequences i mean we're engaging with dangerous weaponry here and it's uh having a bad effect and so now we have this like nice complex relationship with uh Monticello not Monticello what's his name Monticello uh, Monticello um with uh we have this nice uh this nice complex relationship with Monticello because he's now both a a promise and a threat right he he is simultaneously an a, a source of hopeful information that could give humanity the edge but also well you know landmines that was it was plopped right there in the middle of the episode like like his technology out there could be viewed as landmines you you might accidentally be walking across it and come right across one of his things to the detriment of yourself um yep. and so that that makes him a bit of a that makes him a bit of a of, of a threat so it's just it was just rich it was just nice um pacing at the end notwithstanding uh you know to me that's forgivable it was a little obnoxious because i noticed it but you know i mean i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna die on that hill but overall, <laughs> I found myself like engaged from the start through the finish, and this was fun. This was a good one. Good, yeah, I agree. What do you think? So, um, I don't know, about two, three months ago, uh, I was uh, at a uh, continuing ed event, mm-hmm. and as part of that event, we watched the ep- the the movie The Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a movie starring Russell Crowe uh, about a man who has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never seen that movie before, um, but I watched it with this group, 
And it had a profound impact on me. Uh, I have a cousin who has schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a movie that really uh, delved into what it feels like for the individual to deal with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I have not had a lot of experience with my cousin who has schizophrenia, uh, as uh, uh, she works with and through those issues, um, you know, it's always been kind of part of the the uh, story of our family. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when I watched The Beautiful Mind, uh, I was like, "Whoa!" This had a really, and it's actually a rather uncomfortable experience of just kind of experiencing. Uh, this is something about kind of like what what she goes through, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was very profound. And this time, as I watched this episode, um. I had those same types of feelings uh, that, that this episode uh, really just kind of drew you in and, and Jackson's accent, uh, Michael Shanks' acting uh, mm-hmm. and everybody else around him and, and the script and, and the, the, the cinematography and the direction all came together to really, uh, really highlight this, this idea of somebody who is dealing with hallucinations and the profound reality uh, that when you are having a hallucination, even if you know it's a hallucination, right? You know it's there, um, mm-hmm. and and the ability to um, cognitively recognize, hey, I see that, but it's not there, and so I'm going to ignore it, is uh, darn close to impossible. Uh, and and it just, I had that profound effect of this, and and it just. Uh, obviously, it doesn't go into the depths that something like A Beautiful Mind does. It can't. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a 43-minute episode uh, of TV. Uh, it can't uh, go into that depths, but it does do a great job of that process. And, and I was just uh, floored this time watching it uh, mm-hmm. at how really good uh, that was, that the acting and, and the, the storytelling of that um and it it made me love the episode perhaps a little bit more even sure uh than than before uh so just the everything came together in that first first part of it uh you're right the the solution the the you know coming up to a conclusion at the end is is weak uh, I mean, all of those pieces are needed, right? You need to... Of course. Uh, I mean, the only other way to do that is to... Well, no, you ha- in order... Because they, they, they solved... The, they figured out how to solve it by Carter getting infected. And the only way you'd know that Carter being infected and then being re- released works is if somebody else was also infected, not Teal'c. Um <laughs> So you could have you could have paced it. So in my opinion, you could have paced it differently. You could have had a moment where you see um, understanding cross Carter's face. So you know how they chose to play it was that Carter realizes there's something different about her, and and uh, Frazier de- delivers a couple of key pieces of information that Doctor Extra then is able to kind of figure out, which then Carter is able to implement. I understand why they chose to try to do it that way. But you, but that was a big piece of of that slowed that part down, and if 
if you had done it differently in so much as like Carter could have had a revelation like cross her face and she gets to work and later she exposits all of, you know, it, it, it is a, it's a leap because in the original version, it's clearly the collaborative understanding of the sciences inside three different people's minds that make it happen, which is a neat concept. And in right. my little quickie version, it's it's Carter has the collaborative understanding of all of these disciplines in her own head, comes up with a solution and executes it. And then later exposits how she came up with it. Right. You could do it that way. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, anyway, okay. The, the thing that the, there were a couple of things as I was watching at this time that really kind of bugged me about the end. One, I mean, this has always bugged me is the, the other doctor and I'm blanking on his name now. Dr. Extra. Uh, Dr. Extra. Um, I mean, Come on, this is the guy who took out the ghoul symbiote from uh, Kowalski way back in episode two. Oh, that's right. Okay, so this guy is smart. This guy yeah. is not some schlub. And yeah. and he's given dialogue here. Oh, you yeah. can't do that. You know, I mean, he's so stuck in, in that frame of mind. Um, you know, if, if he really had the skills to do what he did in that other episode... Um, it also, it struck me is that uh, O'Neill says, hey, I'm going to go nuts. And then he finds himself in a corner and he's just kind of shaking there and not doing much of anything, which is fine. That makes sense. Uh, I'll buy that. But somehow, uh, Frazier is able to, through all of this, fight through it and give the answer. Um, right. To, to this extent, uh, I think it probably could have sped up a little bit if um, ah. if Frazier and and uh, O'Neill, I did one of two things: either a rolled over and and played dead until the the, the problem was solved, yep, or b became an active hindrance to her, right, right. Uh, oh, but yeah. then, but then it's with her and um, and Doctor Extra, who come up with the answer themselves, collaborating through the glass wall, oh uh, gosh, and so you know so then uh, Carter then has to has to solve this problem inside with help from outside, but also deal with uh, um, uh, Janet thinking she's a go old. So um, imagine Doctor Extra and Fraser's lines flipped. Imagine the same lines, but delivered by the opposite people. And in my head, it starts to make a heck of a lot more sense and actually might have improved the pacing a little bit where Dr. Extra is the one who is putting it together. And Dr. Frazier, because she's in the middle of dealing with these attack bugs, um, she's the one that's like, no, you can't do that. It's going to take, you know, because her reasoning capacity is reduced. Or something right. to that effect, right? Yeah. Like she is undergoing a stressor such that she can't see the solution. She only sees the problem. But Dr. Extra up there who isn't going through an episode and also was, uh, you know, was able able enough to um, to perform an extraction surgery way back, way back on episode one or two. Um, that he's the one that comes up with the ideas about using the centrifuge and using the dry ice, right? Like that would make yeah. more and all you're doing is just changing who says the lines. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Dr. Extra would have to say more than just centrifuge. Like, you know, <laughs> right. he couldn't just say that word and have everybody look at him. And then they're like, oh, use us here. <laughs> you know, also, uh, it, it, 
you know, when when Fraser, she's like, you're a ghoul. No, I'm not a ghoul. Oh, okay, you're not a ghoul. Here's the answer. Yeah, right. Uh, that part, you know, ha- that that bothered me this time, and it has bothered me in the past. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, something in and if you're going to go that route, then then you change the things, and so then you now have Frasier going through a similar process, perhaps sped up, that Jackson did, where right. where Jackson had to fight through his hallucinations to come up with a solution. Um, and if you had, uh, I mean, they kind of did that, but it didn't play well. Um, you would have yeah. had to rewrite it a little bit such that uh, it becomes more of a, uh, a Janet moment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you see things through her eyes more as she struggles to uh, battle, you know, her own uh, hallucinations as she's trying to come up with the answer, uh, that that would have made uh, the ending, I think, better. There One of those a, couple of options. There was also a couple of like technical elements that were just a little bit bothersome, which I am kind of become. I'm self aware enough to realize that that because the overall stargate universe is starting to become rich enough for me like i'm right like i'm 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 deeply becoming a fan of this series and so as a result i'm willing to overlook some of the weirdness like like um we we really did zip right over the top of how these little sluggy dudes um actually took out the nine gold that were in that one room um it is it is uh insinuated that Precisely one uh, attack bug went into each of the nine um, uh, ghoul that were there, leaving one behind. Uh, but when we're looking at the thing in the containment room, all ten pop out, and several go into each of them at once. Um, and so, you know, like th- that's like two conflicting ways of how these little bugs got into into people. But who cares? I mean, like I'm, I'm not. Whoop, that's not the story they're telling, so we're going to bypass that. Right. And then the other kind of weirdly technical thing was, like, um, boy, it's kind of curious that Monticello decided to put in a little, like, you know, piece of programming in these kill bugs that, like, had his voice tell the person, oh, by the way, you're ghoul dead now. But in a way that's a little bit peculiar, like, you know, the, the ghoul, or I can't remember what the phrase was, but it was, it, it sounded like, you know, a log output. It sounded like something that a computer program would say, okay, I have successfully done a thing. And I'm willing to stretch it a little bit to be like, well, this little kill bug was, um, you know, like effectively deeply ingrained in the biological uh, uh, neurological system of its host. So it could have been that the quote log output unquote uh, was uh, was able to be understood by the nervous system in a way that sound you know, that that to the brain was processed like somebody speaking the words you know, the, the, the ghoul is now dead basically, but right. it was still a little bit of a, like a, yeah, huh, it's a little, it's a little curious. I mean, it's convenient for the storytelling, but like, you know, if I'm really being overly realistic about it, which side note, I'm watching a story about a, a wormhole developing a, a piece of technology that allows humans to travel <laughs> the galaxy and engage with aliens. Under, and I'm getting hung up on the details about this. So, all right. I'll punt, but there were there were at least a couple of moments within the television storytelling that I was that 
this thing wasn't without its mistakes or flaws. And so it's not going to be like the pinnacle of television, but it was still a lot of fun. I'm having fun with this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think you nailed it on the head there. Uh, this episode does have some, some flaws to it. Um, uh, I hadn't thought about the, the idea of, of the, uh, creatures, um, coming out one by one by one such that one's left after nine versus uh, in the containment room where all ten just mm-hmm. kind of like spill out. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're right, that does uh, pose a uh, uh, discontinuity there. Uh, the discontinuity that, that I noted is um, they all come out of there, all ten of them, and uh, Frazier and, and uh, Carter are right there and so it makes sense that they were attacked. But yes. uh, O'Neill was way the heck on the other side of the room. And I'm like, dude, those things move fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, yeah. how the heck did that happen? And yeah. I'm like, uh, I didn't buy that. I, I thought that also, was... Also, they zippity-dude out of the little containment box, which presumably uh, is probably... Because, I mean, the, the visual shot is that like one or several of them came out like not through the little armholes, but like straight through the side of the thing and right. or like through the seam, which, okay, fine. But I was immediately thinking as they were going into lockdown, like, well, if it can zip out of that seam, what's stopping it from going under the door jam? Like, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. The whole point of that particular facility is to as best as possible, completely enclose it to the outside world because who knows what little bugs are going to get released in there. But if it's able to go straight through this containment box, that means that it's of a technology sufficient that it's beyond our understanding of how containment works. If it can go so through that glass, say? it can go through yeah. the other glass from the, to yes. the observation platform. Yes. And yeah. it doesn't, which is fine, right? Okay, great. It, it oh, goes yeah, after no, three. The, the fact that it doesn't doesn't bother me. But right. You're right. So uh, anything else that you have to share about this episode here? No, I think, I think we kind of... This was a. I mean, I don't know if I am just getting more into the series or if the episodes are actually getting better. I think it's probably both. But I think it's both. I mean, this was a fun one. I liked it. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's both, Brent. Uh, uh, the episodes are getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is that we're really hitting the the. We're we're high enough on that 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 upward trajectory that that things you know, the the writing uh, the writing staff knows who these characters are and is able yeah, to write well yeah, yeah. for them, uh, yes. which was one of the big problems early on in the season. They didn't or in the series they didn't know yep. how to write for these characters very well. Uh, yeah. the, they're getting uh, the directors are understanding better how how the what the flavor of this series is. And so how to direct it to fit that flavor. Um, and they're getting better stories and clearer stories and, and things are coming together uh, a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. the stories are getting better and the fact that you have invested yourself in this and are investing more in it uh, makes it even better. And so it's both. They're both coming in there. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, um, with... Peter DeLuise and Martin Wood from last week uh, doing a ton of direction in this season especially. Although Peter, I think, has like 73 directing credits. 
Yeah, I think I remember you which saying is, something like which that. Which is insane. Something like I know. That. It's like that's like. <laughs> and Martin Wood has something on the order of like fifty, or so, so between the two of them, like they basically directed half of the half. Yeah, of pretty pretty close. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, you get a good sense of of uh, these two and and the sh- the series that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so recognizing that this episode uh, has some flaws, but is still really quite good overall. I will ask you, my dear friend Brent, mm-hmm. out of seven chevrons, how many chevrons does Legacy get? So the the ending was a little clunky, and there was a couple of moments as the the the, the totality of the story was being revealed that I kind of had questions about some of the earlier stuff. But honestly, out of everything in the world to be nitpicky about, like that wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, the the overall story was very interesting. I liked uh, how Michello is now. You know, I mean, I liked the furtherance of the Michello story. I liked the advance of some of the some of the technological aspects. I liked that uh, you know a little bit of a drop of uh, more information about the 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 um, sort of the political landscape of the galaxy, uh, and the acting was just flipping amazing uh you know there i was laughing when uh richard dean anderson said that he likes playing going crazy because i was sitting there like you going crazy took about 15 seconds worth of screen time and it wasn't all that it was mostly you just in the corner like like, i was like okay all right fine but it makes me wonder on that point uh how much was filmed and then oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah. got left on the the cutting room floor yeah how much was how much was Peter Deluise going? Yeah, you kind of overdid it there. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but but his acting—I didn't even bring this up. Like his acting in the beginning of it, like the subtleties, like his subtle action that's caught on 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 film. Um, the actors are embodying their characters, and the characters are showing the. Yeah, the, the thoughtfulness that the that the actors are putting into it it's it's coming together great and the acting yeah. in this episode was really good um yeah i think that this is a six out of seven which is two weeks in a row but like my goodness this was great i had a great time with it um yeah so uh as we were talking here just now i was thinking that you know we didn't really talk much about it but that that scene with uh o'neill and jackson when they're playing chess Mm-hmm. Um, as I was looking close at some of those close-up shots of the chessboard, I was like wondering exactly who knew how to play chess and who was setting that up because I don't think that whatever they were doing was actually chess and that but but that's an aside. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, the, the acting of those two guys off each other in that moment um, yeah. was absolutely stellar uh, where uh, O'Neill was just sitting there nonchalantly playing cards and whatnot, and and Jackson was uh, trying to, you know, the the gold is there. I see it. I ignore it. I ignore it. It's not there. It's not there. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, all of that. It, it was a really good scene. Mm-hmm. Um. So this episode overall, um, I'm looking at this episode and I'm trying to compare it to. So last week we had. Uh, fair game, and we each gave that a six. And I'm looking at this episode, and I'm trying to figure out uh, where to put this one. You gave it also a six. I I think that I'm going to go a little bit less than that. I'm going to go with a mm-hmm. 5.5. 5. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the clunkiness of the end uh, drops it down a little bit, um, but I have to also honor uh, the the real quality that was done um, uh, with the acting overall. Yeah, the episode. Yeah. So there we go. That's, that's uh, a, that is that is an acceptable score. If yep. you had given it a two, we'd have problems. I would not have given this a two. <laughs> um, uh, you did surprise me a little bit. I was kind of predicting in my head that you'd give it a five. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I think he's going to go with the five. I think the the problems in this episode are going to be enough that pushes it from that six down to a five. But then you gave it the six. I was surprised. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it, yeah, I was waffling between a five and a six and I went up with the higher number because um, I was realizing that my beef with the episode had less to do with story. If I've got a problem with the story, it's going to be a low score. Right? right. I'm willing to I'm willing to overlook um, I'm willing to overlook uh, error in craft uh, more than I am willing to overlook error in story. And so, you know, as a result, if my nitpick things are a little bit like, you know, we glossed over this and we and we and the pacing and the pacing took a turn over there. Eh, for me, that's still like, well, what, what was did what was told to me and what was what was how did what information did I get and how did I feel about it? You know, like all that stuff. And for me, then that kind of pushed it up and so into the sixth range. So yeah, there, there you, you go. go. There you go. Well, Brent. Yes. The next episode of Stargate SG-1 is called Learning Curve. Yes. And this is the part of our podcast when I ask you what Learning Curve is all about. Oh, Learning Curve. Okay, all right. All right. The SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves back to school. Yes, friends, it's going to be a lighthearted episode where we go back to school to learn some things. It's a little bit of a college comedy where everybody's trying to figure themselves out whilst trying to keep their eyes on the prize. Don't look at that fine person across the quad there daniel keep your attention on the books yep we're gonna have a fun time while we learn about more science and we're gonna be having special guest actors of of dr extra as the kooky professor join us (laughs) next time on stargate sg1 learning curve i like it i like it I, 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 i that would be that would make me laugh uh well that certainly was making me laugh so <laughs> so well, uh yeah how'd i do um shall we watch the promo uh yeah yeah oh and um we keep we keep uh we keep saying thanks to david every single week but you know what he is deserving of thanks every single week he because is. uh otherwise i would be sitting here just making this stuff up and then you'd have to be forced to sit there and go huh well um join us again next time right <laughs> So at least we have uh, at least we have something to play off of here. So I, I'm Absolutely. deeply appreciative of that. Well, uh, so yes, then I'm ready. Are you to, ready? I'm ready to actually? Yeah, let's take a look at this thing. Let's take a look. All right, here we go. All right. Next time on Stargate SG One, Stargate Command makes contact with the peaceful people huh. of the planet Oban. Colonel O'Neill, you are most punctual. Both Marin and I are eager to participate in this exchange between our worlds. Tourists. They're one of the most impressive societies we've ever come across, sir. I mean, 
But when the shocking secret of the Obanian's like advancement is revealed... What? A nanite. Oh. She's got nanites in her blood. You claim to love uh -huh. knowledge, uh -oh. Uh -huh. yet when you find something you don't like, you demand that we change to please Will you. Will Colonel O'Neill risk yeah. everything yeah. to yeah. save the life yeah. of one You've girl. already given me more than enough reason for a court martial. Court okay. martial. Hey, all right. Oh, subtle acting. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. I you know, I I'm looking forward to it because I mean I've said it a hundred times, but obviously I like the episodes that are thinkers, the ones that are kind of making you question, um, so uh, like sociology type stuff or political stuff. You know, like I like those right. types of episodes. So this look, looks like it's going to be a good one. All right, so we will find out more about learning curve next week. Uh, yeah. Again, thank you very much, David, for uh, yes, producing those mm -hmm. for us. Uh, I am really pleased with that. Uh, tell us what you think about Legacy. Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Talk to us mm -hmm. on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Find us on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate, uh, both of our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Uh, tell us what you think, uh, share information about the SS Warata, uh, whatever yes. it is, um, <laughs> you know, tell us where we now. got this right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Uh, what do you think of our ways of rewriting the end? Would that have helped the ending of this episode and push it up even further, uh, or not? Uh, whatever it is, let us know. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I have else? opinions. You, I think, well, I think that my ending is like perfect. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> naturally. So so tell us where Brent is naturally perfect and <laughs> where he is naturally uh, less than perfect. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's going to be a can of worms there. Ooh, okay. You opened it. <laughs> I sure did. I just spread it around a little You're bit. Just, you, just, you, just, you, just, you just shook it out like one of those page turner things and all 10 there of them fell out. Like, oh, no. They all just came one out. At a time and here. now they're going to infest our people and then... <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> what have I done? Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. with all of that, uh, yep. I'm Zach. This one up. And I'm Brent. This has been Walking Through the Stargate. We'll see you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.